Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for the Darsh Mesh Room. Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. There you go. Listen to that sax. So, this is a group called Spirit. Early 70s. What a fun. Spirit. And it's from an album called The 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus. And how did I find out about this album? Well, I was about 13 years old at Camp Mondam and in my my uh, counselor who had just gotten back from Vietnam was like 25, 26. And he had all these albums and he had a stereo. They let him have a stereo system inside the cabin. He was special. And uh, this was one of his albums. And I, of course, you know, 13, I come home with my lawn mowing, lawn mowing money and I went out and bought every album he had. I remember it was this one. Uh, there was uh, Johnny Winter, a Johnny Winter album. Uh, Chicago 2. So Chicago Transit Authority, their, their second album. Sly and the Family Stone, greatest hits. But anyway, this group is called Spirit. And... Uh, the lead guy was a guy named Randy California, but that was not his real last name. His real last name was Randy Craig Wolf, but he played in Jimi Hendrix's band in New York City, uh, Jimi Hendrix and the Blue Flames. And because he was from California, Jimi Hendrix gave him the name Randy California. He started calling him Randy <laughs> California. So he changed his name because because uh, Jimmy, you know, what are you going to do? If Jimi Hendrix gave me the name, I'm going to change the name. I'm now. changing it. Yeah. yeah, I got the name. <laughs> so he went by Randy California. And the, the song Mr. Skin... It's about a guy in their band that they put together out in California who was, these guys were all in their twenties. This guy was in his forties. He was born in like 1923 and he shaved, he kept his head shaved all the time. So they all called him Mr. Skin. <laughs> and so they wrote a song about him. It is a great album. I still listen to it every now and then. I mean, it's got lots of interesting, quirky kind of tracks they were a, a very California sort of group. They, you know, their big following was on the West Coast. I don't know how Brody found out about them because there's no way I would have found out about them on my own. You know, they were just a band that was kind of uh, buried. You're not going to hear about them around here. But I did. They were on Epic Records, which was the division of Columbia. So, you know, they got national marketing, but nobody around here carried the album. I had to order it, you know. Mm -hmm from somewhere and uh and then i wore the grooves out on it you know i was just always listening to it but it was kind of an odd group he passed away and there was a guy named jay ferguson where did he end up he they all kind of ended up with you know different uh places uh i think uh, that mr skin guy was mainly a jazz guy and he had been with people like thelonious monk 
uh, Cannonball Adderley. That guy's an unbelievable um, guy. And he also had played with Ry Cooter. So, you know, and Ry Cooter was very California-based. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a total California guy. So, anyway, you know, I don't know. Live and learn. I, 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 a little piece of trivia here. I was just going down the rabbit hole on some of these guys. So, Jay Ferguson. Um, later on, he became best known for composing the theme song for the American version of The Office. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. Now that's a, I never did really. Was that on HBO or? No, 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 no. That was cable. Uh, gra- uh, I don't remember what channel it was on. I mean, Netflix now. Well, actually, no, they took it off Netflix. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean. The Office so he did that? Yeah. I mean, these guys have all had a career in the music thing and, yeah and they were not that big of a deal but they were a big deal like in los angeles or you know out west um kind of like venice another mm-hmm. sort of california-based band but uh you would have never heard of them doing a concert around here so they just uh there's another group out there called love and i'm trying to think of the guy's name something lee he played basketball at somewhere like near, he was from Memphis. He ends up going to California, does this kind of soul, almost a sly stone kind of thing, you know, that uh, San Francisco funk kind of deal. I'm going to get to it. All right. And she's shaking the thing in front of me. And people have these interesting careers. The music business can be very localized and very regionalized. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look around here, country, Nashville, you know, that used to be very regional. So anyway, all right, we're here to talk about investments. Uh, as big tech's growth and innovation slow, its market dominance endures. So it's like anything else. Companies, you know, look at Microsoft. It's built around one program, DOS, which they just kept expanding, turned it into Windows, you know, and they just got bigger and bigger. Google, it's basically based around eyes. You know, they get a leg up and they grow and then they buy everybody else's competition and they become dominant. There's nothing really crazy about that. Now, the interesting thing is when smaller companies – build sort of iterations of the major products and figure out how to fill in the blanks, if you will. Well, this was, this was fascinating to me. So Google and Meta combined took in 48% of all digital ad dollars last year. So each one of them, they have these. Meta uh, being Facebook. Yeah. Each of these big tech companies, they have kind of their, uh, their their pipeline of new things, quote unquote, that they're trying to roll out, <clears throat> could be through acquisition or creating something new, but it all centers around one product. Uh, with Apple, uh, accounted the the iPhone accounted for fifty six percent of their sales last quarter. Um, yeah, they were a computer company for years, and they never really grew much. They became an iPod company. It was the iPod yeah. that came before the iPad or the phone that really kind of put them on the market. Everybody wanted that little iPod, and then whammo. Then they go with the iPhone, and then it's just exponential. Right. 
And uh, but it's it, all kind of one or two products. Well, in Microsoft, it's the Office Suite. Yeah. Um, and and then they have you know tertiary businesses that come off of that. Right. Um, but with like this uh, uh, the AI software that's out there uh, or the chat GPT, you know, all these different open AI things. Uh, these companies are starting to incorporate that not as a standalone business, but it's as uh, something that improves their current business. Right. And so it's like, you know, they use the example semiconductors, you know, faster semiconductors. That's not a standalone product. That's something that improves certain aspects of it. So, you know, these companies, they're, not being rewarded right now for the, you know, the Apple car or things that might have been, you know, pipe dream kind of things. They're not being rewarded for that right now. What the market's rewarding is the the consistent cash flow basis of the business. Right. Well, and, and that's a simple thing usually. Right. Yeah. And, you know, these companies uh, here lately, they've also, you know, been buying back their stock. Uh, so um, I, I think they are, you know, saying that um, that there is some value to their own uh, stock. So, I guess I, what I was trying to say was that these were once extremely high growth companies. Now they've become mature companies, and they they've become value plays. Um, the question now is, you know, that do they continue to be relevant, or over time does their you know re- relevance keep declining and new players you know come and take market share away from them? Right, and that just remains to be seen. We're talking about companies like Google, Facebook, which is also called Meta. Uh, We'd be talking about Amazon, Microsoft. Amazon is a big tech company as well as an online uh, uh, department store, if you will. I'm going to say this. So I've been in this business for quite a while, and I've seen technology go from being almost a non-existent part of this business to almost the main driver of the investment business. Given that technology's gone through all these phases of refinement and spinoffs and people doing this and that, it's created lots of tools that somebody like us can use to help our clients. Mm-hmm. And so because technology has become so ubiquitous and in many ways the price of it has come down, that's one of the big drivers of disinflation is technological uh, progress. You know, if if you only have three or four big tech companies and, that, and they've developed all the applications that there are, all they're going to do is keep raising the prices and you'll be back into inflation again. As long as you've got competition, it can displace those companies over time and uh, lower prices. But what it does for us as an investment advisor and uh, someone to whom the clients look for financial advice is it gives us lots of tools. So one of the things that we're focusing on now is financial planning. And we have better tools than ever, and they're cheaper and more accurate than ever to help our clients not only invest their money, 
but figure out some things in terms of what their money's actually doing for them, directing it to do this and to do that, and how to take care of their heirs. So, Mike, yeah. you know, you've, you've focused on that quite a bit. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the areas of financial planning and how technology helps us do it? Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing to look at where things have come from. You know, used to the idea of financial planning was Monte Carlo analysis. So that's where it runs all these iterations and it spits out a number that says, well, you have this probability of success and success meaning not running out of money. And that, that in and of itself doesn't really tell you a whole lot. And it's amazing how far the technology's come because um, financial planning is it's it's not a one step thing. It's not a one and done. Here's a here's a plan and boom, you're good to go. No, financial planning is a process. Like we talk about the investment process, financial planning is a process. It's not just one piece. Um, to really do financial planning, it's knowing your client. Um, and, and this is a holistic approach. This is not just focusing on one small area. It's looking at the whole financial picture. So that's looking at things, you know, basically your household balance sheet, looking at the cash flow, um, you know, doing social security analyses. Um, and, and all of this, uh, can be done by hand. Uh, it's incredibly tedious, uh, long, drawn-out process, but the technology has allowed it to be more efficient, more accurate, um, and it's, it's it allows a higher level of service from us. So you know, if you look at something like uh, Roth conversion analysis, why would somebody do a Roth conversion? There's a number of reasons, but Let's say one could be you have a million dollars in pre-tax money, and whenever you're you know hitting the required minimum distribution age, that could push you into a higher tax bracket. And so maybe it makes sense to do a Roth conversion on part of it to keep in a lower tax bracket. So I don't know if you saw that article I sent around to everybody where the Wexler guy that works for Warren Buffett uh, converted his. IRA to a Roth, paid $28 million in taxes, and he must have had to borrow it from somewhere or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then maybe took it out later. But um, now he's got a $264 million IRA that's going to be completely tax-free. Roth the, IRA, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a Roth now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So there, it, there can be very compelling reasons to do that, and we have the tools. Yes. To help you look at that, and it's something you should look at. Well, and and like I said, the whole thing is a process, and it's not a one-size-fits-all for everybody because it takes into account your situation. So you have to look at uh, Social Security analysis. Does it make sense to take it at 62 versus, you know, all the way up to age 70? And we can do an analysis and show you on paper the, you know, different pros and cons of doing each one right um and so it it, it takes you're that, not just eyeing it up or you're, you're not sitting down with a pencil and trying to exactly figure it all out exactly it it streamlines while at the same time 
being more accurate and more efficient. But it's like with any technology. It, it's only as good. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, and so it's only as good as what you yep. put in, and it's only as good as the person that's delivering that. Right. Uh, because just the technology in and of itself doesn't mean anything. Well, it, it's a tool, it's and a you tool. have to use it properly. Exactly. But we have that. We haven't. We don't talk about it. We tend. We haven't talked about it. We tend to talk more about the investments and think things. What we're finding out is our clients actually are as interested, sometimes more interested in the financial planning part of the whole thing than they are in the investments. You know, sometimes you get we get to talking about investments, people's eyes glaze over because that's not really what they're thinking about. We tend to think because we're interested in it, they should be interested <laughs> in it. And that's not always accurate. You know, the fact is we do a lot of these other things. And, um, you know, if, if I've uh, pushed my desires on uh, for talking about investments onto you, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's serious. We get insensitive because we're human to what clients are looking for, and they're not always worried about their investments. They're worried more about their money, their cash flow, their heirs, those kinds of things. But the whole thing, you know, the process, we've, we talk about investments. We're not talking stocks per se. Yeah. We're talking the investment process. That's correct. When we're talking planning, we're not talking one report that comes out. It's about the process behind it. Where, where do you get the cash flow coming from that ends up being analyzed in your in your plan? We're focused on who's producing that cash flow, what companies are doing it. Right. But then we need to do a better job, and we're beginning to do a better job of explaining the technology that we can use. We've had the technology all along. We just haven't explained it very well. We're starting to do that more. Right. And we're talking about how to do it. Right. And it's, it's like with anything, like with any technology, um, it's always improving. Um, and that's something we're always on the lookout for, uh, lookout for too, is, you know, as there are improvements, if there's new software offerings out there, uh, cause used to, it was, you know, purely, uh, cash flow based financial planning and that serves a purpose. But there's also goals-based financial planning, which is a little more user-friendly. Um, but it, it it just it depends on the situation, um, and so all of this, they're tools that are need to be used properly, not for not for our fun and games. I mean, when we do kind of geek out on all aspects of it, uh, it's what we do, but. It's for our clients' benefit. What best right. serves the client? That's right. And, you know, one of the things that we have learned is that people come to us because they have concerns. Their concern is not always investment performance. It can be yep. other things, too. And... I don't think we have been as uh, graphic about it at telling people or direct about the, the stuff we can, can help them with. So we're trying to 
change that and do a better job. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree. If you'd like to hear more about our financial planning services, 859-233-0400. You can also schedule an appointment with us on our website at dupreefinancial.com. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, the Darsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree. We are powered by Dupree Financial Group. I love this album. I love this song. I really love this group. It's more of spirit and an album that came out in the, gosh, very early 70s, maybe 69, I don't know. Uh, And they were just good musicians, but it's kind of got a very California sound to it. You know, it's kind of carefree, almost a Beach Boys sound taken into being a more of a psychedelic type group, you know. Nice harmonies and things like that. And I just still listen to them. Just kind of quirky, you know. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I probably should have been a DJ. I'd be stuck back. People wouldn't listen. They'd, they'd listen to my show once a year. You know, I think I'll get a fix of the early 70s. Go listen to Tom Dupree because he's sure stuck in that area. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so here's a here's an interesting uh, thing from Market Watch. 
How safe is the stock market? It's more dangerous to avoid the stock market. And I've always felt that was true. I've often asked how safe the stock market is, especially after periods like 2022. It's a valid question and impossible to answer definitively, except to remind people that what investors get paid for is taking risks. When you take a risk, you actively invite the possibility that you could actually lose something valuable. So ultimately there's no real quote safety in the stock market. However, people take all sorts of risks every day. They do this for many reasons, but almost always there's some payoff that's imagined or expected. The stock market is no different. If you take what looks like no risk, for example, by keeping your money in government-insured bank accounts, it might seem that you won't lose, except you will lose. You'll end up with at least the same number of dollars you started with and probably more, but your interest earnings will not be enough to keep up with inflation, and that income might uh, probably will be taxed. Now, this is why we're in business, guys. And you listeners, this is why we exist. Our goal, and we'll state it right up front, is to keep your money up with at least equal to taxes and inflation over time and we would like, if we could, over a longer period of time to outpace taxes and inflation. We didn't do it in 2022. Nobody did. But we positioned ourselves in such a way that it looks like we are hope that we'll be able to do it handily in 2023. Sometimes you have bad years. They happen. Yes, it was a bad year for stocks. And for bonds, the worst for bonds got ha happened actually towards the end of September. You know, we've had uh, four and a half months since then. And bonds have begun to rally. Stocks were a lot worse than they are right now. We're in the middle of an early uh, year rally in certain things, especially your tech names, which got hammered so badly. Oil is, seems to be somewhat holding up. Uh, nothing's fallen off the edge. Anything related to fixed income is rallied like crazy. And plus it's throwing off the dividend. You're not going to get this in a bank account. Guys, what do you all think? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the main point that the, uh the article is trying to make is that you know the, the stock market can be a scary place um, especially you know if you're watching it day to day you know it fluctuates we know that there are some really bad years like 2022 was a bad year 2008 was a bad year 2020 started off as a bad year ended up being okay uh, but the stock market can also be a place where you know great things can happen if you give it enough time and if you take a very uh, long-term view so 
any given year, you know, the return or if if you try to forecast what may or may not happen during a given year, the outcome is completely random. No one knows whether the market will go up that year or down that year. But once you look at 15 years or 30 years of data, then despite the extremely bad years, uh, you know, that an investor goes through, the uh, the returns tend to be more uh, you know predictable and the variation between the bad years and the good years you know uh becomes uh irrelevant in that you know over time returns uh make up for the fluctuations so the the point is that it is scary but in order to uh, beat inflation over time in order to make your money grow the stock market you know could be a good avenue so they they did a study <clears throat> looking at one year returns uh on they did they do a blend S&P 500 and then the US small cap value uh right. index so the one year returns we'll look at the the spread here this is from 1928 to two, uh to 2022 so the best single year was a positive 89.4%. This is again, this is doing a 50-50 to the S&P 500 and then the small cap index. So, best year was up 89.4, the worst single year was down 49.4. So there's the, the spread there's a What year was that? Uh it's like 31 maybe. Yeah. Uh, it looks like 31 was probably probably the worst. Um But you look at that spread, you know, that's about 139 between the two. Now, take that to rolling 15-year returns. So again, same time frame, but we're looking at the 15-year average. So it goes on that same 50-50 up 23.9 to up 0.3. So the one year was up 89, down 49. Over 15-year period up 20 well, I'm rounding up 24 and flat. Now you take that to 30 years. Again, 50-50. There's a 30-year average up 18.6, worst 30 years up 8.8. So, what starts leveling off to the top to the higher level starts, as you go longer. Starts leveling off to the top and the spread gets tighter. It goes from 138 down to about 10. By the way, just quickly back to the financial planning piece that's something we go over and can prepare for you in 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 a Monte Carlo simulation simulation yeah. among other things yes and that and that's that's the rolling period analysis right rolling period and it, and the longer you go you know the more you have uh, a chance of doing well right and, and to to add to that what a Monte Carlo analysis does it adds into that rolling period inflation you can you can add an inflation number in there you can add a withdrawal rate in there you can add that withdrawal rate being uh increased by the rate of inflation so all these variables on that rolling period analysis and so it a monte carlo analysis it's backward looking it is but it gives some frame of reference Right. It shows how far off track is this possibility. Sure. Um but back on the investments it the whole thing is about 
time in the market. In the you market. Know, stay, and, and the only way you can do that is if you understand what you're doing because otherwise you're just going on blind faith. That's all it is. And potentially giving up large returns or even more importantly, giving up time for compounding. That's right. the most valuable thing you're giving up. Um, and so the only way you can stick with a plan is if you understand the plan it's been communicated properly with you. Yeah. I mean, this is not just about investing. It's about <coughs> setting up cash flow analysis, looking at your uh, portfolio over time, estate planning. Yep. How's your money going to be divided up? when you pass away. And so then you back out of those things and you back into what asset asset classes is going to help you fulfill what you're trying to do with your money and, and get you to a point where in 10, 15, 20 years, your funds will have kept up with inflation. What asset classes give you the best chance? carefully selected common stocks have tended to do that over time. Here's why when you own stocks, you actually own a piece of a business. You don't own an IOU, which is a bond. You're not just sitting in cash. You're actually owning a piece of an active business that has earnings, produces products, does things and can, can increase its profits over time and you as a shareholder can share in that. A lot of people don't even know that about stocks. They don't know that stocks represent an ownership in that business that you're buying into. How good a deal is that? You know, you have the ability, you want to buy a piece of a pipeline, go buy some Kinder Morgan or some Enbridge. You want to be in the oil business, Chevron, EOG, you think insurance companies make a lot of money and you don't like paying your premiums? Go buy some shares <laughs> in one. That way you'll get paid some for what you're doing. It's fascinating if you think about it. Okay, so let's let's say you have a portfolio, 30 different stocks, and Chevron is in the is in that portfolio. So let's all the you think of all the capital allocation decisions that are being made with your dollars here. So you and your advisor are deciding, okay, does this go into a 401k, an IRA, a Roth IRA? Uh, so that just the vehicle itself, that's after figuring out what your cash flow is. How right. much can you do that? That's after you've decided, okay, here's what I'm going to do as a career. This is my income. So all these capital decisions to that point, right. but then inside of the investment vehicle, be it, or the account, you have capital allocation decisions being made, and we were talking thousands a day, millions a day, by Chevron. That's right. And that's a piece of the pie. And then you have, I mean, so you, you it's they're They're amazing. like a big investment account, but they're not using stocks. They're using oil and refineries yeah. and uh, uh, pipelines and things, but they're still allocating capital that's the right. same way you allocate capital in your investment account. That's right. They got to do tax planning. They, they're, they're thinking in terms of uh, yeah. well, you cough and I cough. <laughs> we could kind of be a Stereo. little symphony thing. The bottom line is, 
it's about capital allocation. Yeah. It's about properly putting capital to work in ways that it will be the most profitable and the most efficient. That's right. And and you, as the owner, you're the CEO of your household, of your, of your finances. So you're deciding where to allocate that capital, just like the CEO of Chevron's deciding where to allocate capital. You're deciding what to invest in, who to use, who to employ, all these things. So it's Every decision, I mean, really everything comes down to capital allocation of time, dollars, effort, whatever it may be. So let's go to this next uh, thing. It's Wall Street Journal. Goldilocks economy is a fairy tale. Too good to be true. The recent stock market rally isn't just about a new version of the not too hot, not too cold economy, but a wild race to load up on risk. So this is James McIntosh writing for the Wall Street Journal. And it it's evidently saying that we sort of like volatility and we use it to buy up and then we sell out. And so the market's a little bit schizophrenic or that something. The collective we, not Dupree Financial Group, right? Yeah, we the <laughs> collective investors. Right. Um, yeah, so I think James McIntosh, uh, I think he leans somewhat uh, bearish uh, when it comes to the current uh, market. And I think what he's trying to say is that, um, you know, we are in a situation where, um, you know, if you go back to what happened last year, inflation became a major uh, concern for the market. Right. The market sold off. And here recently we are starting to, you know, hear about... Uh, even the data is bearing it out that inflation's perhaps uh, dropping, cooling down, and uh, we and all the economic data is still strong. The jobs market is strong. Uh, you know, people. Which are is still strange that that would be the case. Plus, you're having a mitigation in inflation, which I think goes to prove that it isn't about employment because if employment is efficient, it can actually drive down inflation rather than exacerbate it right yes um and we're not seeing uh, i think the last data that came out wage growth has also kind of you know slowed it's not really uh, going up as much so that should also help the uh, disinflation camp uh but um i think the the writer of this article is skeptical that this seems too good to be true where you know, uh, the market has rallied. Uh, if you look at uh, the Russell 2000, which is an index of smaller cap stocks, it's rallied almost 20% from its lows to where we are today. Uh, and people have started bidding up, uh, you know, more ri riskier stocks. We saw cryptocurrencies rally. We saw small caps, uh, companies without earnings rally. So... Um, he thinks that, you know, this scenario is too good to be true and perhaps investors need to be a little cautious about going back in and starting to speculate again like it's 2020. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk-on environment. And he, he uses the example Bitcoin and the ARK funds um, as examples of just pure risk, risk-on. Um, the ARK funds have come up. Roughly 40%, haven't they, yeah. off their yeah. lows? Yeah. Um, well, and, I mean, they they own, I believe, they still own a lot of Tesla. 
in that's one of the one, one of one of the one of the funds. Um, but you know the market's always forward looking, um, and the market in the short run gets it wrong a lot of the times. Um, speculating on interest rates, this, that, or the other. Um, but in the long run, the market is pretty accurate in the long run. Right. Uh, but what to, to get to the long run, what are you doing? You're going through the, the peaks and the valleys of what the market does. Um, and with what especially the risk assets have done this year, uh, it's pricing in a lot of good news coming over the next you know, eight to 10 months. Right. Um, and I, I think that's where he's coming from in this article is maybe the market's being too optimistic on those risk assets. I mean, if I were to, you know, take the opposite view, then, I mean, I think you could also argue that this is not, uh, this does not necessarily mean that it's risk on again. So a lot of these risk assets, the ones that he mentions, ARK, Bitcoin, uh, in, even Tesla, they dropped significantly over the last year, you know, in some cases from peak to trough, 80%. Right. So after such a drop, first of all, there are a lot of people who short these stocks or ETFs, you know, they could just be covering their shorts uh, and that may have caused a rally. Uh, or secondly, after such big drops, uh, you know, markets tend to overshoot and undershoot. So it may just be going back to some sort of, uh, you know, normal valuation. Uh Yes. You mentioned Tesla. <laughs> so as we speak, this is on a Thursday. Um, Tesla made a low of like 108, I think. Uh, uh, 103 intraday, yeah. Okay, that was about six or seven weeks ago. Early January. I'm looking at my thing. It's trading at $210 right yeah, now. It's All right, we got to jump, guys. It's doubled. It's more than Nothing doubled you've heard low. on this show is a recommendation to buy or sell. Stocks. Up over 100%. Crazy. Consult an investment professional before investing in the stock market. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashroom. My Lord, a Darsh Mashroom. Mike Johnson, Tom Dupree. Stay tuned for another hour. We'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs>